Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in the ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV and medical drama. My name is Elizabeth and with me today as always are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 7, which is titled No Brain, No Game. The episode aired on November 14th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Well... First off, the musical Chicago returns to Broadway on November 14th for the first time since 1975 and was still playing before the pandemic forced Broadway theaters to shut down in March 2020. This makes it the second longest running Broadway show of all time behind Phantom of the Opera. Both are fantastic shows. You should go see both of them. Except Lizzie, who doesn't like musicals. That's true. But that's okay. No, we just balance each other out. It's fine. Um, In boxing news... Evander Holyfield, 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 Holyfield. Okay, Evander Holyfield knocks out Mike Tyson in the eleventh round to become the World Boxing Association's heavyweight title, becoming only the second person in history to win the title three times. The first, Muhammad Ali. Ransom, starring Mel Gibson, debuts and is the number one movie at the box office. And No Diggity by Blackstreet, featuring Dr. Dre and Queen Penn, remains the number one song. So this week, uh, what else was on on NBC that evening? At 8 p.m., you have Friends with the one with the giant poking device. At 8.30, we have The Single Guy once again with the episode Double Date. At 9 p.m., Seinfeld checks in with The Chicken Roaster, which that one did sort of stand out to me. That's the one where the chick- fried chicken restaurant moves in across the street from Kramer's oh, apartment window. And he starts like, hallucinating and stuff. Yeah, it's like he's got the big like glowing red light every time he opens his door. Yeah, very it's very visual, but uh, it was definitely one that stuck out in my mind. Um, and then finally at nine thirty, you've got suddenly Susan with Beauty and the Beastie Boy, which to my great disappointment does not involve a love triangle with the Beastie Boys. But uh, this week you've got a new high water mark for the season: thirty seven point four million viewers tuning in. The uh, episode is directed by David Nutter, uh, directing his first of five episodes that he would do over the course of the series. He also directed, uh, he's directed a lot of different things, but other ones that he's directed like multiple episodes of include X-Files, Entourage, and Game of Thrones. Uh, and then the episode is written by Paul Manning. This is his 12th of 15 episodes that he would write. I'm curious what the episode of Game of Thrones he did. I'll have to look that up. I think it said he did nine episodes and it looked like it was spread out over the course of the series so i think he was about like a one one a season uh episode kind of director also daniel i forgot to look this up or ask before we did the tonight's episode but um what what has been our overall series high so far viewership? Uh, the it's in something of dispute um it's okay it's well no i shouldn't say that it's not in dispute the the highest the highest episode or highest viewed episode we have seen to this point was hell and high water the dispute comes in with whether or not that's the highest viewed episode of the whole series uh Mm because i've i've seen the number quoted as two different numbers and if it's the one that wikipedia has it as then it is um then it is the highest rated episode of the series by far if it's the other one that i read then it's i want to say like second or third we, we i went through all the specifics when we talked about hell and high water um so go back and listen to that one if you're interested in that conversation but um that's the highest rated one that we've watched thus far and and probably will ever watch all right good to know um and benton this time lets us know what happened last the last time on er uh, and then the episode opens with uh, some audio that we have for you with uh carol coming off the aisle right when mark is walking past Hi, Mark. Hi, Susan. Excuse me? 
What? You just called me Susan. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. I guess she's on your mind, huh? Not necessarily. I wish you guys would just hurry up and get married. What? You're perfect for each other. I mean, you almost went on vacation together. You knew about that? Mark, everybody knew about that. What I don't get is why you backed out. She didn't want me to go. Mark, she wanted you to go. She did? Oh, yeah. Nobody told me. Look, just do us all a favor. Ask her out. We need some fresh gossip around here. We are all Mark on this blessed day. <laughs> just, just somebody tell me what I need to do. I have no idea. Um... <laughs> Now, here's my question. We haven't seen a lot of Carol and Mark lately. Did this feel a little wooden to the two of you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's. I mean, it's all exposition-y, so it's bound to come off a little bit wooden-y. But you're right, though. We, we haven't gotten... We have not gotten this pairing on screen in a while, um, which is what I kind of like about this episode is that we get to see a little bit more of them working together in this episode. Since we're watching one episode a week, like they did at the time of airing, are you guys finding the previously on ERs to be helpful? No, cause I can generally, cause you know, Daniel and I both trade off editing duties. So we, so we get to hear what the, what the, happened. The only, the only thing, <laughs> it's fine. No, the only thing that I will say in, addition to that is that like i i don't necessarily find them helpful or enlightening as far as like reminding me what happened on the last episode but what they do clue me in on is what storylines they're going to pull from before mm. the last episode you know like if they like in this one they they mention um Clutie's deal from a few episodes ago and it's like that had no bearing on last week's episode but it does have a bearing on this week's episode so it it kind of it, it's a good clue in for me to go oh okay they're gonna you know dig back into that a little bit more that's the one thing that always drives me nuts on like series today when you're watching them and it's new episodes is you're like if you're up to date enough or like this happened to me with game of thrones is i'd be up to date enough where i'd have read the books and so when they do the um they didn't necessarily do previously ons that I remembered too often, but they when did they, some, they, they did, did sometimes later seasons at when, least. when they would do those, I'd be like, Oh shit, I know exactly what storyline they're about to pull and it would kind of ruin the flow of the episodes for me. Mm. Cause it would be like a mini spoiler in and of itself. Yeah, I could see so, that. But, I mean at least here there's no book source material that they're pulling from. It's like unless someone could read Michael Crichton's brain, they don't exactly And we've all seen this, even though I don't remember like three-thirds of this show yes i meant to say three-thirds i don't remember anything about this show apparently have i watched er all the way through yeah, no one did. knows keep yeah, listening I to did. find out I was there. yeah lizzie is the only proof i have that i have actually seen this show all the way through but yeah so carol is pushing mark to finally make a move will he let's find out Dun-dun. what happens next so then carter we go over to carter and gant complaining about how tired they are Gant's like, oh, you only have 11 hours left. I've still got 18. And then um, we find out Benton is still keeping an eye on baby Megan from last episode. Because they're like, oh, have you seen Benton? No, he's probably still up in the NICU. Um, and we have, we run into Anspa chastising Dale, Dale's back, um, for losing a patient that may have snuck out for food when he isn't supposed to eat because he's having a surgery on his esophagus. And Dale bribes Carter and Gant, saying that if they find the patient, he will help them get into the surgery. And we find the patient after they all walk away. He is hiding in the laundry bin behind them. <laughs> and this gentleman looks looks odd. 
looks odd at first, has a very recognizable face. And Daniel, I'm sure you have the actor name yes. later on, but Lizzie and I were both like, oh shit, who is that? <laughs> and I realized about halfway through the episode that it's the sheriff from True Blood. This is a very uh, heavy, oh hey, it's that person episode. Just spoilers ahead of time. Yeah. There's lots of them in this okay. one. This this was the only one I really caught on. So, yeah, Mr. Percy is this gentleman's name. Which we, we'll come back to that, him in a little bit later. But mm-hmm. now uh, Benton is checking in with little baby Megan. Uh, her abdomen is still distended, and they unfortunately have to take her off the bypass machine that they worked so hard to put her on at the end of last episode. Um, just because she's not tolerating the, the, the anticoagulants, the blood thinners, well, well enough to be able to um, stay on it. So, and basically they're just like, well, it's kind of up to God now. Yep. Essentially. Like, she might get better, she might get worse. There's, there's nothing more we can do. And uh, we also learned that Dr. Keaton is taking Benton off of active surgical rotation, at least when it comes to pediatric cases, because he needs to learn to be more patient. So we go right from that into the intro in with some more bangs and we come out of that into our, well, I say the first bit really though. The first bit was seeing the patient peeking out of the um, laundry cart earlier. Uh, This is the first full scene, a bit of, um, or what's going to include, there's a lot of wackety schmackety in this episode. I'll say that right off the top. Like there is, there is a lot of wackety schmackety in this episode and it, it, they pull it together it kind of works but it is very uh very different tone from the usual um we see wendy showing up to the desk uh with some homemade saltwater taffy and we see that our missing patient who you know we he comes up and asks uh, jerry for change for the candy machine and as lauren mentioned earlier he's recognizable as not only the sheriff from true blood but also a bunch of other things uh the actor's name is william sanderson who uh, has 132 credits to his name, uh, one of, I think, two or three, maybe even four, uh, side characters here today with uh, in this episode with over 100 credits to their name. Uh, William Sanderson, wow. who was in uh, Blade Runner, uh, Last Man Standing, Deadwood, and The X-Files, among many other things. Like I said, 132 credits dating back to, I think, the early 80s or late 70s. So you could probably find him in something you've seen. That's a really impressive filmography. Um, from there, we find out um, another nurse is called in sick, and they need a float nurse. And it's Rhonda again, because Jerry didn't even run it by Carol before he called for a nurse. He was just being proactive, and they got Rhonda. Speaking for trying to helping. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jerry says. He goes, oh, so much for trying to help. Like, just, Jerry, bless your heart, but you did not do anybody a favor today, as we find out. Um, and then from there, we find, we're back to Gant and Carter, the dream team, and Gant gets paged by Benton, and Carter is paged by the ER, right as Gant says, oh, I wonder how long we can sit up here before anybody notices we're gone. And Carter goes, well, now where it's not going to happen. And lo and behold, they're both paged. Um... As they're walking out of the cafeteria, Dr. Keaton thanks Carter for giving her an article that it turns out she had helped to edit. So, thoughtful, but useless, Carter. And um, as as she walks away, Gant looks at Carter all uh, wobbly-eyebrowed and goes, Something going on I should know about? Eh? Eh? It's like... They are giving each other... Dr. Keaton and Carter are... Giving, giving off other, vibes. Yeah. Giving each other looks. Very sweet looks, but looks nonetheless. I know. Um, and Carol, we go back down to the ER, Carol hears Rhonda taking a patient history, and she's incredibly frustrated that Rhonda is taking, like, 
every single possible little detail that you could ever possibly hope to know about someone is the history that Rhonda's taking, which is entirely unnecessary. Every ding-dang bowel movement this woman has ever had <laughs> is being documented on this chart. And who plays the uh, the patient that we're talking yes, to? Yes, the very helpfully credited Rhonda's patient. Doesn't even get a name. Uh, Rhonda's patient, played by actress Kathleen Freeman, who I think takes the high water mark for this episode for a number of credits. Uh, she was in 297 different films and shows. Uh, over the course of her career she does pass away unfortunately in 2001 but you might recognize her from movies like blues brothers inner space and naked gun 33 and a third uh in blues brothers she plays uh the penguin the uh, nun who is their like guard you read my mind i was trying to think of who it was oh my god thank you yep and that, that like i immediately recognized not only like if again i had to do the like nun thing i had to like block out everything but her face and then just listen to her voice. Like, her voice is so recognizable. Um, from there, we have Carter is sent to do some sutures on a homeless man's hand. And as he's going to get started with Wendy, all of a sudden, they hear a noise coming from one of the cupboards. What could that be? They open the cupboard, and Mr. Percy is choking in the cupboard after eating the whole two pounds of taffy that Wendy had brought in. Two pounds of homemade saltwater taffy, Ugh. and this man is choking and gagging on all of it. Like, I love candy, don't get me wrong, but... You're not Mr. Percy levels but, of loving candy. But Jesus Christ, yeah. two pounds of candy, especially when you find out later, he can't swallow at all. Ugh. Yeah, he's got an esophageal tumor that takes that's blocking almost his entire esophagus. Yeah, so he's not even like... I'm just like I'm just trying to think of like the logistics of well, like how do you get two pounds of taffy in just to your mouth and Lizzie, we find out. <laughs> oh yes we do in graphic detail. Have some chill, Mr. Percy. Jeez. <laughs> so then we go from there to our next trauma. It's a thirteen year old gunshot victim being brought in. Uh Doug is gonna run this one. I forget who says, I think it must be the EMT says that uh, the shooting was as a result of, quote, some gang thing. And I think it's Halle who says he's a he's a banger. Look at the tats. So uh, our young 13 year old here, he's been down for at least 20 minutes, most likely DOA. They're kind of just going through the motions at this point, just as Doug uh, calls time of death. Benton runs in and takes over, telling everyone in the room to start up restart their care and going all in to save this kid and doug is all sorts of pissed off about this because he just called time of death so he tells lydia to go and get mark so that he can uh, plead his case here so this is going to be a both of these threads are going to kind of branch off in this episode we've got you know benton doing his superman act where he has to save everyone now because he's had no success with saving the baby from last episode and doug is again feeling like nobody's listening to him and that he's very put upon so these are kind of and branching again, branching pathways here doug v benton it's not one we see a lot but when we do it's pretty neat and it's, usually gets pretty spicy personalities yeah usually gets pretty spicy between those two and we go back to the silliness with uh carter and wendy trying to extract all two pounds of that taffy from, uh. from mr percy's throat and uh and spa and Anspa Dale and uh, Doctor o- I forget his name. Okita. Oki- yeah, Doctor Okita, a visiting Japanese doctor, um, are all like, "Hey, what the hell? What's he doing?" Uh, they're all very thankful that Carter was able to um, find Mister Percy, and also obviously Mister Percy can't actually swallow food, so no harm, no foul, essentially, except for wasting a little bit of their time. So, 
Ah, uh, but just like the wads of taffy that Car- that Wendy and Carter are pulling out of this dude, just how? Yeah, it, it looks like concealed bubble gum. Yeah, it's so gross. It is so fucking gross. So Doctor Okita here is played by kind of another oh hey it's that person. Certainly for for uh, young Daniel, absolutely. Uh, he's played by actor Saab Shimono, who was the one of the big bads in the third very regrettable do not go back and rewatch uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 the one where they uh, travel back in time and go back to ancient Japan and play dress up as samurais it is terrible uh, but he was the big bad guy in that so uh, Oscar worthy movie Daniel I don't know what you're talking about it's, oh god it's so bad it's so fucking bad uh, and I love I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but 3 is ugh, real rough uh, he was also in Waterworld. Among many other things, he had 122 credits to his name, and I think is still working as of today. Like, still, still at and it. Samurai Jack. So Benton is running treatment on the gunshot victim now, and Mark comes in and says, "Well, you know, Peter already started. Might as well let him finish." And they give him a shot of Epi to get his heart going again, and it works. Like Gant's in there, hand pumping the guy's heart, and all of a sudden he's, "Wait, it moved. Shit's happening." Oh, God. And then um, Doug goes, great, his heart's back, but his head's dead. Yeah, just just, just let me die. Yeah. If, if, if I ever get like that. No, just, no. They're... God, fucking, I want I want to, like, I want to punch Benton square in the face mm-hmm. for Doug and also for the family of this young man. Yeah, this causes everybody nothing but pain. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I think, one of the few... This is one of the few, in, I think, indisputable times throughout the course of the series at this point that you can honestly say that Doug is 100% right and is without any sort of, like, caveats. Like, dude is 100% right. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, there's a couple things I want to point out about Mr. Shimono real quick. He played the voice of Mr. Sparkle in The Simpsons. Oh. He was also in a Seinfeld episode the same year that he was on ER. And he was in five episodes of Samurai Jack as the Emperor. Well, there you go. Good to know. He was also one of the Japanese executives in Mad Men. Yes, he was. Oh my God, you're just so right. There's a lot of uh, like not to not that you and I need any more fuel to talk about Mad Men, but like there's a lot of ER bleed over into Mad Men, like a lot. Selling your tone, it's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, but for now, we're go we're we go back over to our next audio clip. Um, Erase a patient. <laughs> Wacky un- smackety part two. Yeah, it's under some unusual circumstances. Hello, Dr. Lewis. What's the matter, Erase? I just don't feel like myself. You have a fever? No. But I had an MRI yesterday mm-hmm. uh, on my shoulder, an old Kunga injury. And ever since, I just feel off. Could it be radiation sickness? MRIs aren't radioactive. They just scramble your electrons a bit. Forever? No, just for a few seconds. That's odd. What? Well, my watch stopped. Oh my god. What? My watch stopped last night, right after the MRI. And the toaster. What toaster? My toaster. It shorted out this morning. I've had that toaster for 10 years. So? Could the MRI have rearranged my molecules, causing me to radiate some sort of bizarre electronic interference? No. Follow the light with your eyes. What light? That's funny. 
Can we have a spin-off of superhero E-Ray just causing electronics <laughs> to go off? This is this is probably the most the most uh, shine E-Ray is going to get as a solo character. I love it. Absolutely here for it. Yeah, I was say, who needs Jamie Foxx's Electro in the MCU when you can have E-Ray? <laughs> Here's my other question. I don't know if we've touched on this. Is the actor who played E-Ray still alive? Yes. Yeah. Can we fight tooth and nail to get him on the show? I have, I've tried. He doesn't have any social media presence to speak of. Like he's okay. he's one of the ones that much like um, much like Halle and a few of the other ones. They're just like like uh, Laura Innes, I think, and of course George Clooney. They're just like you know <laughs> you know E Ray Halle Weaver and Doug all in the same category. Uh, the, yeah, they're all off the grid is basically what I'm getting at. Okay, but yeah, this this is an amazing sequence. I'm not myself. <laughs> My toaster of 10 years. It's <laughs> a long time to have a toaster. That's how long I've had that one. Really? Yep. Huh. Freshman Tay year of college. Tay I learned. Yep. So then we go from there up to the OR uh, for the GSW from earlier. And uh, Peter is trying to take the lead on this. And when uh, Dr. Keaton comes in, he initially lies about the downtime at first, th- trying to improve his chances of being allowed to do this surgery. But then... Um, thinks better of it and is like well I, I think he says originally he's like how long has he been down eh, 15 minutes and then i think it's gant gives him kind of a look like don't lie he's like all right it was closer to 20 but she still lets him do it anyway so she lets him perform the surgery whilst she observes so this is going to be this is going to be kind of his big heroic deal for the whole episode is trying to save this kid but not not really though i don't think he really has any interest in saving this kid specifically he's just this is like that one episode from I think season one where he's just like determined to save everyone because he couldn't save mama Ben. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and then <laughs> here we go leading into the next wacky, um, sub, sub, sub plot for this episode. A photographer comes in after a 10 foot fall from a tree while taking pictures of birds in Grant park. That is what we are told at first. And then we have Mark very awkwardly asking Susan out, but yay. He finally asked her out. And she says, I'd love to, but I can't. I have I have plans. Another time, maybe. Yeah, another time. And then she goes, oh, by the way, we need to talk. And before they can actually make plans to talk, they're interrupted by Jerry saying Morgan Stern is on the line for Susan. Hmm. And then we go over to our next audio clip. Uh, Mr. Percy is out of bed again, but Carter finds him in the in a closet in the room. Mr. Percy? Who's that? It's Dr. Carter. I take it you have some reservations about the surgery. Do you have change for the candy machine? Well, you can't eat with that tumor in your throat. Eloise put a Hershey bar in the blender, and I drank it. Do you know that you're about to have a very serious operation? There's no blender here. I asked. Has someone come in to go over the risks with you? Another time. She blended up a Snickers. Mm-hmm. Trouble was, the nougat got caught in the straw. You ever have a Zagnut? I love Zagnut. They're my favorite. Mine, too. Mr. Percy, do you want to have this operation? I 
Could I just have change for the candy machine? I just, I find it so sweet how he's like, I tried a Snickers once, but the nougat got stuck. It's like, we've all been there, man. He's such a sweet gentleman. Yeah, he really is. Like, I just want to give him a hug and give him, like, a sippy cup full of all the candy he wants. But I love that Carter's like, has anybody talked to you? Like, we're seeing good Carter come through again here. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see how this continues in a minute. But um, then we have, we go back, Carol's walking past a patient's room where Rhonda, this is the woman that she was taking the history for earlier, has mixed up a white and brown enema for the gassy patient from earlier. And that is a mixture of milk and molasses for an enema. We were trying to, we were trying to figure it out and then decided we didn't want to know. And then the fact that she tastes it too, it's like, why does it matter what it tastes like? That's not where Maybe it's going. Maybe that's how she knows how she got the mixture right, the proportions right. I guess, but then <laughs> Carol gets on her. Ugh. But then Carol gets on her for wasting time mixing it up instead of sending the woman home with a boxed enema, and just getting her out the door because this is so much time that could have been spent on another patient. Was her mixing up a giant glass of enema? Uh, and then moving on, we have yet another audio clip for you. Uh, this time we're going back to the bird photographer who starts randomly photographing ER employees. So let's find out what that's about. Hello? Your CT is fine. I don't see any birds in here. I'll let you in on a secret. I'm more than just a bird watcher. Really? I'm a comparative anthropologist doing a field study on the mating rituals of man and bird. Sounds like interesting work. It is. For instance, you take those two over there. Notice the occasional lateral body contact initiated by her, then reciprocated by him. Yeah. Identical to the courtship dance of the sharp-tailed grouse. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Check out those two at the desk. Do you see how he puffs his chest and strokes his goatee? Yeah. Same as the slender billed Shearwater. Oh, look at that. What? Her frontal neck presentation. What does that mean? In the nuthatch, it's an invitation to love. Oh, she is shameless. What? You see how she strokes her throat with her finger? Yeah, what does that mean? The corresponding behavior in the spoonbill would be to bend over and shake her tail feathers in his face. This is one of my favorite B-plots in the history of this show. <laughs> the first two people she's talking about are Wendy and Jerry, and the other two are uh, Susan and Morgenstern. Shake her tail feathers in his face. Mm. She just sounds so scandalized by all of them. <laughs> Wackity schmackity. But yeah, I, I want more of Bird Lady in later episodes. So going from there, we go back up to the surgery where we see Benton uh, still working on getting this kid fixed up. Uh, we uh, Dr. Keaton, though, has to leave. And so she has Shirley, who we have not seen or heard from since season one, episode 18. So almost, what, a season, really? a season and a half, two full seasons almost. We haven't seen uh, Shirley. And actually... You know, she gets name checked, but we don't actually get any close ups. I, I can't be sure that it's like the same actress or anything. I mean, she is credited as such on IMDb, so I'll take them at their word, but. It was. I saw the judgmental eyes. <laughs> it's all in the eyes. From Shirley in a lot of episodes. I mean, it's the best. It's her calling card, but uh, yeah, so she uh, has Shirley send in another doctor to continue observing Benton here, which we will circle back to in just a moment. 
And then we go over to Jerry is playing on the computer. It looks like he's playing a video game, which we've known them to do at the admit desk. And it crashes as our best friend E-Ray walks by. And he's like, dang it. I was in the middle of something that just went down. What the heck? And E-Ray and Wendy let him in on what's going on. Hmm. This could cause trouble for everybody later on. And then our patient, our enema patient from earlier is very upset that Carol is just dumping her after taking Rhonda away as her treating nurse and instead setting her in chairs and making her wait for her nursing home to come pick her up. So. And for you eagle-eyed viewers paying attention to the background, at 1825, when Carol is talking to Enema Woman, which is better than the character name that IMDb gave her, so that's just what it is now, Enema Woman, um, at 1825, we have for our third episode in a row, in its third different unique location, uh, another crack poster in the background. I, what the hell? I, I don't the know. Girl. They're just, yeah, they're, our, must have been getting that dare money. I don't know. Is this just Crack Watch 2020 at this point? <laughs> I mean, it's probably better than a lot of the other things that going on in 2020. Film Watch, Crack Watch, we're racking them up. Um... And then speaking of people watching things, uh, Mark is creeping on uh, Morgenstern and Susan and using the same language uh, that, the, that the anthropologist woman was, but uh, describing it to Carol instead. Who had no context for the bird yeah. comparisons. He didn't explain it first. He just started saying it like a crazy person. Yeah. And he thinks they're flirting or shaking. She's shaking her tail feather in his face. That, this is, for my money, this is the funniest that Anthony Edwards has gotten to be in the entire series up until now. Like, he's actually getting yeah, a chance to, yeah, he's getting a chance to, like, flex the funny muscles, and I'm here for it. So we go from there uh, to Carter confronting Dale about not properly consenting Mr. Percy for a psych evaluation and says he wants to go and get a psych consult of his own. And so Dale, you know, begrudgingly agrees. He's like, hey, go, you know. Go get a psych consult if you want, but come whatever time, we're going to come grab him and take him up to surgery. So this is really the first, I think, example. This episode is really the first example of what I was talking about when Dale first showed up, that he's kind of dark side Carter. Like, he's mm. he's very similar to Carter in a lot of ways, but he's just evil. So this is kind of the first example of that sh popping up in this episode. Then we jump over and we see Maggie Doyle going to get Mark uh, for Doug because a child's father is not happy with the idea of his son getting ant IV antibiotics. And Mark pulls – it, this is a very weird little detour in the middle of this episode. Like it, it's very kind of just kind of shoehorned in here. Uh, but Mark pulls the two of them out into the hallway, advises the middle-of-the-road approach to go with oral antibiotics to try and please everybody, which – Ends up not really making Doug very happy, but we'll get into the the how and whys of that in just a little bit. And then we, we do find out here, last quick hitter, that the psych eval never showed so that they go to uh, doctors Anspa, Okita, and Dale show up to uh, wheel Mr. Percy up to surgery. So we'll check in back check back in on that a little bit later. Um, then we cut back over to Rhonda. Uh, she's going to take her break, and Carol just... You know, gently letting her know they don't do scheduled breaks in the ER because you know shit happens. So it's kind of really hard. It's hard to do that in their in their scenario. And she's like, "Well, it's in the contract." So and Carol asks her for a little flexibility. And honestly, I kind of take Rhonda's side on this. Like, if it's in the schedule, if it's if it's in your if it's in your contract and you need to do it at an exact at an exact time, 
and you know you're probably not going to get the chance to do it at all right the rest of the day then yeah go go take 10 minutes go like yes it's, it's 10 minutes they're not swamped I mean, they are, because they're a county ER, but... Okay, but in that moment, we have seen them much more swamped than they were at this point in the episode. Fair enough. But, yeah. So, I don't know. Take your breaks, people. You're not you're not helping anyone at work by... Overdoing it. Yeah, by overdoing just, it. Just kind of uh. overall, did you feel like... Did either one of you feel like... Because watching this episode, for me, I almost felt like Rhonda's arc was backwards. If that makes sense. Like, I almost felt like this should have been... Like, this part of Rhonda's arc should have been in last episode, and then her struggles and her, like, getting kicked out of the ER should have been, like, the the climax of all of that. So, until we get to, you know, the scene with her and Carol a little bit later on, like, it almost felt like her arc was a little bit flip-flopped. Like, it was out of order in some ways. I don't know. Never... I... I get where you're coming from, that it would make sense for it to have more of that escalation. Yeah, I mean, she just, she, like, especially from her first appearance in this episode, like, she, she comes in, like, full of piss and vinegar. She does not come in with her tail between her legs after having gotten summarily kicked out by Carol in the last episode. Like, she just kind of comes in, like, she comes in with, honestly, the kind of, like, attitude that I would have expected from her, the way that they hyped her up in the last episode. When the last episode they were like, oh, Ron, like, Rhonda, you're gonna have your hands full with her. And then she shows up and she's just like perfectly normal until she screws something up. Whereas here she shows up and she is kind of a dick and she is sort of like, does it her own way and like, I don't know, it just felt to me like it was a little bit like mis, like disorganized the way that they characterize the arc. But they do pull it all together at the end, so... But uh, to wrap up the scene, Edema Woman has had an accident in chairs, and and Rhonda tells her where she can tells Carol where she can find a mop because she's going on break. And then from there we go back to Benton's surgery, and Doctor Breedlove shows up to help observe Benton and guide him through surgery. And Daniel, you want to give us a little information on who plays Doctor Breedlove? Yeah, he's played by actor Don Perry, and this is his first of two appearances as Doctor Breedlove, the adorable little Doctor Breedlove. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, Mr. Perry does uh, is no longer with us. He passed away in 2012. I, uh, for some reason, this was a face that stood out to me. Not a face, because we don't see all of him, but like this was a performance that stood out to me. Like I remembered this guy. Yeah, I mean, he's another one. <laughs> yes, he does has he has a cute little step stool, and then he's just going on and talking while Benton's doing the surgery, and it's like nothing ties like cat gut. Shame we can't use that anymore. <laughs> And um, as it's going on, the the gunshot victim starts bleeding from his aorta, and he's like, "Oh, we got it. We got a pumper here." Like, <laughs> just calmly walking Benton through it, and it's just so funny. And they stabilize him and keep going. And um, Abby is watching from outside the OR doors, and just kind of says, "I think probably to one of the surgical assistants." Just co- goes a lot of work to save an organ donor. Oof. Yeah. No, but I. You, it's one Dr. Breed loves is kind of one. First off, that's a made up name. No um, shit. <laughs> second, like, you know, some people's names sound made up. Yeah. That's a made up name. Um, no, but like he's, I kept expecting it to be like one of those things like, like, oh no, he's going to, uh, Dr. Breed loves going to screw up because he's the silly old man. Oh no. But then, no, he's just actually, he knows what, he knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. Very and... sweet. Very with it. Yeah. yeah. I love how somebody's like, I thought he died. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, I just saw him outside, so he's definitely still alive. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely so thought. No, I thought that was a nice change of 
pissed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely thought they were setting up for more like wackety schmackety stuff. Like he's gonna come in like the the guy and the the old guy who fixes Woody in Toy Story, like with the big like glasses on the end of his <laughs> nose and like yeah. shaky hands and stuff. But no, he's pretty like it's very understated and it, it fits in well with the rest of the episode. Yeah, he's digging it. He's digging. He's digging right in and helping out Benton. I love him. So, I want a spinoff just with him. <laughs> I want. I'm telling you, I want Dr. him and the pathologist down in the morgue. Those are the two. Doctor Breedlove, the early years. <laughs> so then we go from there to uh, Mark and Carol doing some more gossiping about the salacious Morgenstern and Susan pairing. Cut quickly from there uh, back to the ER or back to the OR rather, where Benton has managed to resuscitate the kid managed to put him back together uh, but they do still need to test him for brain function and they're waiting in the hallway outside of the uh the or and gant says hey shouldn't we go talk to the mother and benton's like no not yet i want to test for brain function and gant says well i'm gonna go talk to her now and benton says well don't get her hopes up um back down to the er we go for our next trauma it's sal urbanski he was playing football in the street and uh got hit by a buick and had his right foot amputated <laughs> and he is holding his lucky ball he just refuses to give it up which you know can't be that lucky if you get hit by a car which i think is what, maybe what someone what someone remarks maybe the luck is it's not its whole his whole leg yeah and his foot is wrapped up uh, in between his legs and Rhonda takes it to put it to put the foot on takes the foot to put go put it on ice and puts it in a belongings bag hmm hmm wonder where this is going hmm. bet it's wacky schmackety um, and then we switch over to Anspa is narrating the surgery process for Mr. Percy's procedure, and Carter fails to answer Anspa's question correctly, And um, but then Dale pokes a hole in the guy's pleura, so Carter gets to put in a chest tube, and suction gets passed over to Dale. Yeah, Carter notices, like, very tiny microscopic bubbles. He's like, are those supposed to be there? Yeah, air bubbles coming from somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. And In the esophageal oops. region. Yeah. So yeah, Dale gets knocked down a peg because he made an oopsie and Carter gets to do suction, or Carter gets to put in a chest tube and which, we'll which, see. Which he does extremely quickly. Yeah, he's good he's at He's getting good. You know, what helps if the guy's already open too. That's fair. A little bit. He doesn't have to worry about like numbing him up or anything. Or... Right, dude's out. Yeah. But uh, we go back to uh, Mr. Urbanski. Uh, Carol takes the football, and she says she's going to put it with his clothes. And Morgenstern shows up to, you know, to start the reimplantation process on his foot because they think they can save it. But uh, And Rhonda wasn't looking at which bag she was putting ice in. Um, hmm. I wonder, I wonder which one's going to get sent out with the patient. Also, hmm. is this where, um, is this where there's that weird mustache scratch sequence? Yes. yes, which is so My so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. uh, Morgan Stern refers to his mustache as his moosh and asks Susan to scratch it for him because his nose itches while he's in the middle of helping fix up this guy. And just Mark is watching this whole thing horrified because they look very comfortable with each other. Shaking its tail, Kevin. Mm. Shake it. Oh, boy. So then we go from there back up to... Uh, Benton's patient the boy's mother wants to come in and watch the cognitive test that they're going to do on him Benton finally uh, allows it 
they go to take him off the ventilator to see if he still has brain function. Uh, basically, if his brain signals, once they take him off the ventilator, if his brain signals his body to breathe, then he still has brain function. If it doesn't, then he's brain dead. And, of course, they take him off the ventilator. And as I think everybody expected at this point, except maybe Benton, uh, no breathing. They hook him back up. Kid's brain dead. And it's very sad. You know, it's kind of the mother mother starts crying. And just the, the whole thing is just really, like, it's needlessly sad and tragic. Like, we didn't have to do this. But, like I said, Benton's got a complex. So he's trying to trying to fill a cup with a hole in it. But we go from there, go from there to Mark and Doug. And uh, this, this is a, another kind of sharp escalation in their, their relationship here where uh, they're in the lounge and uh, Doug calls Mark out for being on a high horse about the woman that he brought in a few episodes ago and basically tells Mark that he doesn't want to work together anymore. He asks him like, how many shifts do you work a week? And you know, whichever one, like that's fine. Just make sure that they're not the same ones as me. So it's just like a very, it's a very like zero to 60 kind of jump with these two. They go from like, I mean, I know they had their little argument right after uh, Doug brought that woman in a few episodes ago. They, you know, where Mark made him take a piss test and then they had the little, little confrontation by the, the elevator. But like the last, last episode for sure, the Halloween episode, like they didn't really, they didn't really interact or no, I guess that was two episodes ago now. So yeah, I don't know. They've they, it seems like they've just kind of they've just kind of left and started a few times with this. Uh, they're they're not really sure what they're doing with Mark and Doug. I don't think. Yeah, I feel like they just kind of go back and forth. Like in the past, I'd even say half a season to a season. Like just kind of how Doug, how Mark is handling Doug as as his supervisor and his friend. Yeah, yeah. It's just and how Doug is. Handling boss they just can't quite decide if they want to just let them be friends or let them have this friction right yeah and they, they go back and forth sometimes again like this episode for example they go back and forth this is all tidied up by the end of the episode so i don't i don't get it but will it stay tidy watch and find out i guess <laughs> dun, dun. but uh speaking of things being untidy uh sal's oh. wife shows up and Carol gives her, you know, an update, and they're going to bring her up to the surgery floor, but, and Rhonda walks by and hands her a belongings bag. With the football in it. Hmm. With the football in it. And Wendy hmm. takes her, and Wendy, Wendy uh, takes her on the elevator upstairs. And hmm. then we, and then we have Morgan Stern is up in surgery taking care of Mr. Urbanski, and Susan all of a sudden pulls out an iced football. At the same time, we hear a scream, and the wife is holding the bag with the bloody foot. We don't actually see the bloody foot, but she's opening the bag in horror and screaming. And Carol apologizes immediately and runs away with it. Just, oh. We call that a lawsuit, my friend. I was gonna say, yeah. Oof. I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Uh, well. <laughs> kind of. We'll see you in just a minute. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we go quickly to uh, Carter and Anspa discussing the surgeries that are coming out of the OR, and Doctor Okita mentions that he has two hours until his flight, and do they want to go have dinner? Which, wow, if you needed a reminder that this is the 1990s, like, <laughs> my dude, two hours? You should already be at the airport. You yeah. should already be past your gate waiting for. Right. If like I'm one of like I have been tra- conditioned by my father to be there to be at the airport like three hours yep. early. oh yeah 100 yep. if i'm if i'm not three plus hours early to the airport it is the worst day of my life yeah yeah like i would 
I'm one of those people that absolutely I would much rather sit sit in the airport, people watch, or buy your gate, have yeah. an audiobook, play my play my Game Boy, play your Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> no, I the worst flight situation I ever had was I was going to South by Southwest for my senior year of college, and um, I got there and my flight was full or rescheduled or something went with it, and they're like, oh, we have an alternate flight that's leaving in ten minutes. That they could get me on. I hadn't even cleared security yet. I had to get through security, run all the way down O'Hare with my shoes off to get to the <laughs> to get to the right gate. Like I was carrying my shoes until I could get to a spot where I could stop and breathe and quick like tow them on. But just running with all of my stuff to get to the gate in time and it was just the worst. Moral of the story is get to the airport early, kids. That's the uh that's the moral of the story. So, yeah, so they've got two hours until the flight, so uh, they're going to go have dinner, and Anspa invites Carter to come have dinner with them and demotes Dale down to scut work duty. He has to stay and observe the patient. So, yeah, and we get a nice, like, little, like, Dinkelberg thing from Daryl where he's, like, from Dale where he's, like, standing in the hallway, like, almost shaking his fist at Carter like he's, like, mm. uh, And then we go go after there. We have an, our next scene in audio form for you. Um Rhonda and Carol are having a chat. Let's let's call it that. It was an honest mistake, a mix-up. It was the most incompetent, horrifying thing I've ever seen. And because you did nice the foot, they can't reattach it. Please don't write me up. Are you kidding? If anyone deserves to be written up, it's you. All right, go ahead. Do their dirty work for them. That's just what they want. Whose dirty work? Hospital administration. I'm nine months away from getting my maximum pension, and they're trying to force me out. That's why they keep floating me down here where I don't know what I'm doing. You're right. You don't know what you're doing. They want to get rid of people like me and replace them with cheaper, less experienced aides. They know the difference between a football and a foot. I'll take them. I am not going to let you put me through the humiliation of a review board. Not after 22 years. Watch me. Don't bother. I quit. Okay, honestly, like, I understand the desperation there, Rhonda, but you gotta have some balls to fucking ask not to be written up after causing someone's, of causing a patient to lose a foot because of your mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, pulling the whole, oh, just do their job for them. Like, bro, I understand where she's coming from, and I understand all of, you know, that this happens, and it's a form of ageism in the workplace, for sure. But, bro, this dude is not going to have a foot because you fucked up. Like, that is, like, the easiest slam-dunk malpractice lawsuit of all time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And if you had just been paying attention to what you were, paying closer attention to what you were doing, that would have been, like, like, if they fire you, that's the, that, you're getting up easy. Yeah. It's a very good, I, I do think it's a very good, like, example of how you can tell a layered uh, side story, like how you can do a layered subplot that doesn't doesn't require a ton of screen time and doesn't require, like, any sort of, like, I don't know, this is a very simple story and it's, and it has a lot of, like, ins and outs to it. Like, like you said, a lot of things to consider, the ageism in the workplace and them, corporate i mean i know this isn't a corporate hospital but like you can definitely feel that people can relate to the idea of 
the bottom line taking precedence over where somebody is uh, most qualified to be. Like if they think they can save a little bit of money by sticking this older nurse down here and maybe making her feel uncomfortable to the point where she feels like she can't keep up anymore. So she'll quit like that. That I think is a very relatable scenario in a lot of people's career fields where, you know, when you start to, when you've been in your career field for a long time and you've started to make some real money, now all of a sudden you have the bean counters that are like, mm, how can we, how can we get rid of this person and bring in somebody cheaper? So it, it's, a, it's just a really good example of how you can tell a really tight and layered side story. And I think that's good. Yeah. I think I definitely agree with you that they, they do a really good job keeping this night nice and neat and putting a pin error, putting a pin in it, like when it's done. Mm-hmm. Who knew that we'd actually almost kind of give a shit about Rhonda? Yeah, because this is the last we see her. Yeah, she's yeah. Right? Yep, she walks out the door and is never seen again. So, I, presumably, I would presumably I would say she stuck to her word. She quit and, and really did quit. So, Oof. and then from there we go over to Benton goes to check on baby Megan, and her parents are in there with her, and we find out her oxygen level is super low, and it's kind of only a matter of time until she passes at this point, and. While crying, Gail, the mom, thanks Benton for what he's done for them and their family. Yikes. Mm. He also is, like, real creeper. Like, he does this a couple of times where he just kind of, like, apparates behind them, and it's very weird. But we go back from there, down back down to the ER, where we see Chuni asking Carol what happened with Rhonda. And as they're talking about it, Lydia uh, pulls something out of her box, finds out that she's being floated to neuro three times a week starting uh, next week. So maybe Rhonda wasn't being so paranoid as we kind of kind of put a final pin in the whole Rhonda storyline here. This is this is like I said, this is, I think, a real thing that happens. So I think this is a good yeah. way to tell it. We find out Lydia's only got a year left. Right. Lydia's kind of coming up against the same uh, the same benchmark that Rhonda was like she's getting ready to max out her pension and um yeah although that that timeline I mean I guess I guess there's no requirement that you have to retire when you've maxed out your pension as a nurse like in this scenario but like the timeline doesn't 100% match up because Lydia doesn't leave until like I think it's like season nine or ten so she stays for like another six years yeah she's got it maxed out when she's ready Um, but yeah, so then we go over to Doug and Mark take two and Mark essentially admits like, okay, maybe it was personal, you know, probably a little unprofessional dragging your shit through the mud, but like, come on, dude. And Doug goes, oh, well, you know, you'll be glad to know I'm seeing a shrink. Mark goes, man or woman, woman, don't worry. She's 62 years old. And Mark's like, hey, you know, getting them old, whatever. (laughs) And then, um, he says Freudian. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then I can't remember who says this to who. This next line, Doug, I hate you. You know Doug that. says it as he's leaving, and Green Green waits until he's out of earshot to say, "I know." Yeah, so Doug just goes, "I hate you." You know that? What what good and shitty friends at the same time? <laughs> it's just like any male relationship, <laughs> platonic male relationship. This is how we treat each other. But is it? oh sure there's been plenty of times where jake and i have been mad at each other and then gotten over it in the same afternoon and been like fuck you like that's and that's how it ends like (laughs) you know men don't know how to talk about their feelings okay i need everybody to be happy with me all the time or i'm doing something wrong it's a personal failing um and so of course what do stereotypically asian folks do after a long hard day at their professional job 
they said go out and get drunk and sing, and sing karaoke. So we have Anspa, Okita, and Carter singing karaoke. Uh, and Okita starts playing the kazoo as they do sake shots. <laughs> it's kind of a magical scene. It's... Yeah, it's it's really silly. I if like it, it wasn't for what's coming in a little bit, it, this would be the height of the wacky schmackety for this episode. Like, there's yeah. there's one scene that tops it a l- in a few minutes, but, like, this is, like, when I was watching it, I was just, like, hands on my head, like, what am I watching? Uh, but uh, after that, we have our next audio for you. Uh, Benton and Dr. Keaton are having a little chat. Rough day, huh? You know it would be, didn't you? I had an idea. Well, I guess I did exactly what you said. You know, rushed ahead. Didn't think. Did you actually believe you could save that boy? You know, I never worked so hard or performed more surgery than I did today. took that vent off. I absolutely thought that kid would breathe. You check on the Hurley baby? A couple of hours ago. I, uh, we can't face those parents. You should check on her before you go. And I, I... When Benton said, I've never worked so hard or so long on a surgery, didn't we see him do, like, a marathon surgery in season one for something? Hey, you know what? Continuity doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's close could up. Could have been show. longer by, like, 15 minutes. Okay. Um, so let me get Jerry um, talking about E-Ray and negative force fields. And they're like, okay, let's, you know, let's let's go fix this. I think there's a way we can do this. And as they're walking out, they stall out the elevator before they can get onto it. And they're like, let's take the stairs. So what are these three up to? Jerry, Ren, Wendy, and E-Ray. Hmm. Which is just mm, a chef's kiss, like, grouping. I, I love that. I love that little that little the trio there. Can we get more side stories with those three, please? Uh, but then on a more downer note, uh, Carter comes back uh, from his little, his, from his little adventure. Um, I, okay, so I have a, I, before uh, so Carter's coming back after he's already been drinking. Mm-hmm. Is he just coming back to get his stuff? I think so. I think that's kind of the because he can't because he probably assume I assume he left straight from the OR to go to dinner. So he probably has to come back get the rest of his stuff and go home. Okay, that was just I was like because I was a little confused here for a second as to why he was actually even in the even at the hospital to begin sure. with. But uh, Carter's kind of sort of like bragging to Dale like oh yeah we had so much fun yeah it sucks to be you. Uh, and then Dale gives him the unfortunate news that Mr. Percy had a stroke. And died. No, he's not dead. Oh, he's not dead? Yeah. For some reason, I thought he had passed. No, that would that would have been... That would have been merciful. Um, no, but... Yeah, Mr. Percy stroked out and his... Has all the... The fun side effects that come along with that, unfortunately. So, uh, Dale immediately gets in Carter's face and gives him shit about not going through with the psych consult and potentially saving this dude's life by having him declared incompetent to make medical decisions for himself. Uh, which prompts Carter to throw Dale against the lockers and immediately Dale knocks him on his ass with a with a mean right hook uh, right in front of Dr. Keaton. Yeah, because it throws him out the door. Yeah. She's like, hey, break it up, idiots. Um, but then we go over to Carol and Mark are gossiping further about Susan and Morgenstern likely quote-unquote dating. And Carol tells Mark, look, just go ask her. 
what are you doing? Just go talk to her about it. He's like, well, that's not really my style. And she just goes, Mark, you might want to think about changing your style. Like, grow a pair. Which is some good advice for Mark. Is. So then we go from there to the peak of the wacky schmackety for this episode. We've got our... <laughs> Our, our wacky trio from earlier, Jerry, E-Ray, and Wendy, are uh, in the MRI room with E-Ray in the machine, Jerry at the controls, and Wendy keeping watch. And uh, E-Ray instructs Jerry, don't leave me in too long. Uh, 15 seconds should be enough to reverse my polarity. And Jerry, in predictable fashion, turns the machine on full blast on accident and is uh, unable to find the off switch. Turn it off. There should be a big red button. <laughs> Oh, this big red button, and then it acts, and then like the like, E-Ray just looks like he's being engulfed by a blinding light. Yeah, <laughs> it's so just. Oh my god, this is this is such a weird episode. I, I love it, but it is a weird episode. We cut from there to uh, Doctor Keaton taking care of Carter's busted nose, courtesy of Dale, and uh, Carter explains what happened with Mister Percy, and uh, as they're as they're talking. Uh, Dr. Keaton keeps correcting Carter to just call her Abby. And you can tell that, like, you know, we're picking up on the thread from earlier in the cafeteria when they kind of made doe eyes at each other. And now they're, they're, there's there's clearly something here. And it eventually comes out where she just kind of, like, pounces on him. And we cut from there. So this is the beginning of the first instance of Abby and Carter to be repeated to questionable results much ah. later in the series. But... Ah. This is the first instance of, of an Abby and Carter pairing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, this is this is actually the stuff that I remember more about Dr. Keaton's story than what we've seen up until now. Like, the the stuff with her really uh, getting on Benton. Like, I didn't remember that as much. Uh, what I did remember was her and Carter having a thing. So I'm excited to see what my feelings are on that this time around. But uh, that's kind of where we leave them for this episode. Her little pounce is so cute, too. She just goes for it. I mean, yeah, he's an adorable, he's an adorable man. And she's an adorable lady. Let's and do he this. was, exactly. And he was doing the thing that, like, she constantly gets on Benton for not doing, like, standing up for his patients and, like, doing the compassionate thing. Like, you could tell that, that like, yeah, you could tell that that checked a lot of boxes for her in that moment. So we get some news. Uh, we have the audio of that news, but uh, Mark shows up at Susan's place, just sort of unannounced. Who is it? It's Mark. I just called you. Are you alone? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'll make this easy. Uh, I know about you and Morgan Stern. You do? Yeah. So, how long have you been seeing each other? You mean as in going out? Yeah. Mark, we're not. You're not? No. Are you sure? Yes. So, are you seeing anybody? Maybe we should sit down. Morgan Stern has been helping me get my transcripts together. Transcripts? I'm leaving my residency. 
quitting? Transferring. Where? Phoenix? When I was there visiting Chloe and Susie, I just got this feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And uh, I don't have anything here in Chicago, really. And I mean, I know, I, I know, I know what you mean. And after I've decided, I just feel happy. For the first time in a long time. Like, I'm finally moving on with my life. That's great. God. <laughs> so you sure? Yeah, I am. I don't... I don't know what to say. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna miss you. I am gonna miss you, too. The way he says that is so weird. The, the last line. I'm gonna miss you too it's just got it's just got a weird pacing to it but how do we feel susan's finally announcing she's gone i don't like it <laughs> i know sweetie. yeah i don't like it i don't like it i don't want her to leave yeah um and i feel like if this was in like the first season or early second season they would have been talking way more and had this conversation before all this mix up like once she has baby Susie, when she has little Susie in the picture or recovering from little Susie, and once Mark has the um, the attending job, it just kind of like their communication completely falls at the wayside, and instead they go with this will they won't they stuff. I feel like if this had been early season one, they would have talked about this. Yeah. Granted, he would have still been with Jen, but still, like. No, you're right though. The nature of their relationship changes dramatically between those two seasons, and they're they're just not they communicating as much everything. i'm i, I want to know i'm just as like a like a sucker for this kind of stuff like i just i want to know about all of the conversations that led up to this moment like within on the creative side of things like i i want to know about all of the different ways that they thought of to get rid of susan you know were that was it you know because we, we kind of joked and in, in like fantasy booked last episode about like what what it could have been like if they had thought about killing her off so it's like you know was that ever something that was on the table did was the plan always that she was going to go to phoenix and and you know leave the door open for the possibility that she could return somewhere down the line like i don't know like i, I just want to know about all of the like other possibilities and to make a firm evaluation as to whether or not this was because it seems like with all the circumstances that were in place it seems like this is probably the one with that gives you the most amount of flexibility going forward. You know, like we, cause, cause it based on everything I've read about Sherry Stringfield's departure from the show, it sounds like it was a very like personal decision for her. And it sounds like it was one that kind of caught the producers and writers and stuff, all the people involved on the creative side of ER, it caught them somewhat by surprise. So I wouldn't be surprised if from their perspective, it was like, okay, you know, she's clearly going through some stuff in her personal life. She's going to go home and think about this and is probably going to change her mind. So let's not kill her off. 
but like let's mm-hmm. let's give us give both sides an out here as my thinking of how they were probably approaching it because they I'm sure that she was a character that they probably had bigger plans for and didn't want to uh, completely dismiss so soon but you know I, that that's the thing that I'm most interested in is like where what else could have been the outcome here um, and I think given all the circumstances in place I think they probably you know they did it as cleanly as they could have fair I agree Someone get us in touch with with Sherry Stringfield. We she's got some. Speaking of off the grid, good lord, <laughs> try to find Sherry Stringfield in 2020. Good luck. And then we have Benton goes to check on little baby Megan one last time, per Abby's instructions, and he asks one of the NICU nurses, like, "Are these oxygen readings right? Like, what's going on?" And the nurse says, "You know, yeah, about an hour ago she just started getting better." And one of the parents says, "Yep, it's a miracle or something like that." And they go and they look and. Little baby Megan is happy and pink and tiny little baby, looking good. And Benton is just staring at her like a creep. And that's how the episode ends. Do we feel like Benton really learned his lesson? <laughs> nah, everything's just gonna work yeah. out fine. He'll just be reckless. For exactly. Yeah. But what do we? How, how do we feel about this episode on the whole? It's fucking weird. Weird. But I like. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird, but not in some of the fevery dream, fever dreamy ways that we've had in the past. Like this was just a solid weird. And yeah, I yeah, it, it. it's it's formulaically weird. Like it's got a lot of it's got a yeah. lot of like, um, like I said, like wacky schmackety like sitcommy notes to it, where there's mix ups and there's you know, you know, wackiness ensues, but like it's all cleaned up and there's not really there's not much in the way of stakes with anything. Um, like you said with Benton, like he goes through this big arc throughout the course of the whole episode dealing with the events of last week's episode. And like you just said, like, does he really end up learning anything by the end of it? Or does it all just kind of work itself out? Cause it kind of just works itself out. And so it's, you know, it just kind of has the, a kind of a, a formulaic flavor to it, but that all that being said, um, it's not bad. Like it's good. I don't know how it's good because based on that assessment I just gave, it seems like it wouldn't be good, but it is. And I think a lot of that can, is credit due to uh, E-Ray. E-Ray carries this episode, I think. Like his his little subplot, I think, is just subtle enough and just funny enough that it really uh, buoys the rest of the episode, I think. And just E-Ray enough. <laughs> yeah, just E-Ray enough. Yeah, it's like I said earlier on, like this is the first time he's really been given a chance to, to shine uh, individually and with a little little uh, leg up from Jerry and Wendy towards the end of the episode like he really does a, a fantastic job this episode and I really really enjoyed his time all right well that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening as always the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash saying the tone podcast for only a dollar a month you get access to our show notes each week for only five dollars a month you can get access to the full season recap episodes and a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk Jerry and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get a month access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and in pop culture at that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. 
Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you at? I'm going to throw a curveball at you. This week, instead of uh, pimping my own social media, I'm going to ask that if any of you have two minutes of your time to go and give us a rate and review on iTunes, it would be really helpful for us. And we forget to ask a lot of the time, so I'm going to use my plug time for that. Please go rate and review on iTunes if you're enjoying our silly, silly rants. And you can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer, that's G-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda with new episodes of that coming out every Friday. You can find those videos and more at YouTube.com slash The Popular Court. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.